0: All right, take your Bibles with me and turn in the New Testament to the book of Luke. Turn with me there to Luke chapter number 22. We'll direct your attention to a few verses there in just a moment. You know, you and I have a tendency to recall the last conversation that we may have had with someone before they unexpectedly Passed away. I can remember several years ago on a Sunday morning after service that I stood right there by that uh, altar there and spoke with Brother Jimmy O'Farrell. And I, he did not know, and I did not know, that that would be our last conversation on this side of the grave. But I do remember that moment. And I think we tend to remember some of those moments when somebody that we care about and somebody that we love, uh, you know, unexpectedly leaves our life. I remember in particular my dad. We had moved away from our hometown in North Mississippi to South Louisiana and were there for about 14 years pastoring in Cajun country. So we only got to see mom and dad maybe once or twice a year. And so as we would go back, we'd spend about a week with them and visit with them. And then, of course, we'd come home. And I remember the last visit that I had with my dad as we were just, uh, I think, maybe riding in a truck together just talking. And I thanked him for some things that he had done for us as our dad when we were growing up. I, one of the things that he really, really stressed on me was that I had no option but to get up and go to school every day. And I had no option but to make good grades that that wasn't even up for discussion, and so that was something that he made me do, and it really didn't it didn't it wasn't a burden, it's just something that he did. And so I was thanking him for that because as, as poor as we were, and as as far as my my family, my parents, my grandparents, I actually was the first Hoots male to graduate just from high school. And so it was a big deal to my dad that I get an education because he knew that had held him back from being able to do some things in his life, though he had the knowledge and the skill. The lack of education kept him from being able to be promoted in some of those areas. So he made sure of that. And so I th- thanked him for that. And, and he, uh, my, my parents and grandparents, they were not communicators. On Sunday afternoon, we'd go up there and we'd sit on the front porch for hours and maybe four words would pass between everybody. I mean, just that kind of atmosphere. And so uh, for me and my dad to have that conversation was a big deal. And so he thanked me for that. And, but he also told me, said, Son, I knew if I could give you an education that you would have something that nobody could take away from you. Well, I never heard my dad even mention anything about his philosophy of life. That was the first time I'd even heard something like that. And so I thanked him for it. But then he went on to say, he said, listen, when you go home this time, I want to give you a set of tools. He said, I don't feel like I'm going to be around much longer. I mean, he said that. Okay, there were no indications otherwise that that I should take that seriously. I just thought maybe he was having, who know, moments of depression or whatever. I did not know. And so I took it, brought his tools home, and uh, two weeks later, I was sitting at a McDonald's, and y'all forgive me for that, if you would, please. I was sitting at a McDonald's. The ladies at the church were meeting at my house, so I didn't have many options. There were not many options in Franklin. So I was sitting there, and my my wife walked in the door, and I could tell by the look on her face something had happened. And uh, she said that my dad had another heart attack and had passed away. And so my mind went immediately back two weeks before that when we had our last conversation. I went like he had some kind of premonition that something was going to happen and he gave me those tools. And so that moment before he, those two weeks, that conversation has stuck with me. Can you remember a conversation that you have had with someone before maybe they were unexpectedly taken away from you? Or maybe they talked to you and they seemed to have a premonition that they were, but you did not take it seriously seriously but you wished you had. I think as we read the passage here this morning, we are looking at a man who is going to sit down with his men, and he is going to tell them, this is going to be one of our last conversations, and I want to talk to you about some things. And I don't think, Brother Lorne, that they understood the significance of it at that time. And I don't think that they understood exactly uh, how it was going to come about because it just seemed like it didn't register with them. All right, so look with me in chapter 22. What I want to deal with the next few weeks as the Lord leads is I'd like to study some of the conversations of Christ around the cross. I'm talking about like the day before and the day of the cross and a day or two at three after the cross. I think they are very significant to us as believers and practical for us. So I want you to look with me in Luke 22 and verse number 14. Now, I need to give you a little bit of background so that you will appreciate the setting here. All right? And what you're looking at here is the last meal or the last supper, we call it, before the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice in chapter 22, actually in verse number 1, it says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. The Passover. All right. And for the Jewish men, for them to travel and to go to Jerusalem, uh, there were three very important feasts that required them to leave their homes and come to Jerusalem and participate. And that was the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost and of tabernacle. So these were very important times for them. So isn't it amazing at God's timing that all of this is going to occur while all these Jewish men are there? And so you'll notice in verse 1 that it is called the Passover. Now when I say Passover, I hope that most of you have read your Bible enough to know what I mean by the Passover. This was a historical moment in the Jewish nation several thousand years before this, is when God had made a promise to Abraham, to his descendants, and that they would eventually go down into Egypt, become slaves and prisoners, and one day He would deliver them. And sure enough, God called Moses, sent him down into Egypt, and Moses, of course, declared the mighty power of God through the different miracles and plagues that took place. But the last one was when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, you've got to let our people go, and God is going to take the firstborn of every family. And so Moses then goes to the people of Israel, and whoever else would listen. And he said, you take the blood of an innocent lamb, you slay that lamb, you take that blood, and you put it over the doorpost of your home. And when the angel of God, and when the wrath of God passes through tonight, that angel of death is going to look for the blood that is on the doorpost and when he sees that blood, he is going to pass over you. And if there is no blood, then the firstborn in that family was going to die that night. And it was through that event they could hear the wailing and the crying and the screaming of the families in Egypt as the firstborn was dying in their homes. How many of you are firstborn in your family? All right. Several of you are. And you would have been underneath the wrath of God had your family not gotten you underneath the Passover lamb. And so a nation was really given birth that night. Pharaoh said, get your people and get out of here. And so from that point forward, they went forward as a nation. God, of course, did some more miracles for them. But Moses set up and God set up a feast and said, Now listen, every year I want you to observe this. I want you to call the Feast of Passover. I want you to, and when your sons and daughters see you observe this, and they ask questions, I want you to remind them of the power of God and how that God delivered you from the bondage of Egypt and that He saved you by it, really, by the blood of the Lamb and by His grace and by His mercy. And you tell your sons and daughters that. This was this was placed there year after year after year. And then when Israel went into captivity, it kind of broke up and they didn't have it for a while. Hezekiah came along, they had a great revival and he had a wonderful Passover I mean, they said, man, it was one of the most powerful Passovers Israel had ever experienced. I mean, they sacrificed thousands of lambs and sheep that day. And it said their thanksgiving and their praise to God even made it to heaven. It was a wonderful time. Well, they got scattered about brought again, and now here they are at the time of Christ. Christ, being a Jew, was very observant of the Jewish law. Jesus Christ never transgressed. He never committed a sin. He never violated the law of God. Now, he may have violated the law of man, but he never violated the laws of God. And you'll find that sometimes your conscience is warped because you follow the commands of men, but you're not that concerned about the commands of the Lord. And so you feel good about yourself while you're actually under condemnation of God. So we get to Luke 24, it's the time of the Passover. He gathers His men, and He says in verse number 11, He said, he said, You shall say unto the good men of the house, The Master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And He shall show you a large upper room furnished there make ready. And they went and found as He had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, He sat down and the twelve apostles with Him. Now this is just the day before the cross here. And so wouldn't you think if you knew that you were about to leave the scene that your conversations would even be that more critical and significant if you knew that you had some kind of a disease and you knew that the doctor had said you've got about two or three days left? Don't you think that when you gathered your family around or your friends around and you sat down and you said something to them that you'd be speaking to them, I mean even more so from your heart of the things that matter the most? Now, the Bible says here in verse 15, and He said unto them, look at this now. He says, with desire. With desire. I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, this is not the first Passover He has eaten with them, but it would be the last. And He said, I've been looking forward to this. Now, that's hard to understand because He just said He was fixing to go suffer. But He knew the time. It was time for him to do this. And so the scripture says, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now I want you to understand something about the human ear and mind. People can have a conversation with you and some words stick with you and some words don't. Sometimes we, we hear the words but we don't really hear the news. And I think when he said, before I suffer, some of this stuff just went right over their head because of some of the things that happened after this. He also mentioned to them later that he would rise again. That seemed to go right over their heads. But the scripture says that he speaks to them about the Passover. And now this is significant to you as a believer today, and I hope you understand this. And if you're here this morning, and you have never, ever been born again into the family of God, This point of this message is for you. Now watch what Jesus said. Verse 16. He said, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat bread thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, and gave thanks, and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So here we have, The Lord's Supper, or should I say the Passover here, and its significance being explained to His servants. This would be the last one. And the scripture here is telling us some things about its significance. The Lord Jesus Christ is telling His men that the shadow of the Passover is about to become substance. And the photo of the Passover is about to become the actual person. In other words, those things that they were observing in the Old Testament, all those things were nothing but just images and shadows and pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ to come. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, and we'll study that conversation... He spoke to those two men after His resurrection and He went back into uh, the books of Moses and He went back into the Psalms and He went back into the prophets and showed them that all of those things were pointing toward Him. The significance of this event is critical to us as well because everything was about to change. They were used to offering up a lamb and now they were sitting in front of the lamb of God, they had always offered up something that was perfect, and he was about to offer up something <clears throat> that was perfect. Do you know the Bible actually says in 1 corinthians five seven <clears throat> that the Lord Jesus Christ is our passover. Now, this thing about the Passover, according to the scriptures here, let me, let me let me give you a few uh, uh verses. That might help you with this. All right. Peter later on, one of these apostles, are sitting there and talking uh, to his men when he wrote his letters to the saints of God. He said, concerning the Passover Lamb and concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And before I quote this verse, understand what Jesus just told them. He said, My body is being given for you. Number two, my blood is being shed. For you. They didn't comprehend that. Later on, Peter, the significance of that, he writes in one of his books and says this For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, he says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's concerning his blood. And then he said later on, who in his own self bear our sins in his own body. So we understood later the significance of this. And I'm just saying sometimes when your parents sit down and talk to you about some things, it may be a few years later that you really begin to understand the significance of that conversation. And here our apostle does comprehend it. And so... The scripture tells us here that they're looking forward, but we're looking backward. They were looking forward to that moment, the cross. We're looking backward like we do. We understand a little bit more of what was going on here. So if you're here this morning, I want you to understand the significance of this. Jesus was said, as John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming in his early ministry, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now the significance of this is that Jesus is telling these men, He said, Well, boys, this this Judaism and this Judaic system, it was all set up to eventually bring us to this point that you might understand that I am He and that I am the Lamb of God, that it is my blood, my body, my life that is the true atonement for a man's sins. And everything that they had known, everything that they had ever done was about to come to an end and everything was going to change. As a matter of fact, when Jesus hung on the cross and as he died, the Bible says that that veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. What if everything that you had ever been taught from your childhood up to this point was completely rearranged in your life about God and religion. And that's exactly what they were facing here. And he was letting them know of the significance and that there would no longer be the need for these things. Well, how does that apply to me as a believer today? Well, I wasn't born a Jew, wasn't raised around Judaism, but I do know this, that God has selected those people to bring the light to this world. That it is through the Jew and the nation of Israel that God has given us this holy book. And that it is through the Jew and the nation of Israel that God has given us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have the New Testament here and we have the message of the gospel. And what you see here now is this. Because I understand the significance of Him being the final Passover, of Him being the Lamb of God, of Him dying for my sins, of Him taking my place. It, meant, it means now that I, I, if I wanted to be part of this pure religion, I, and I do want to be part of a pure religion, that I do not need to bring a sacrifice. I do not need to stop somewhere on the way to church this morning and bring a lamb. I, I also no longer have to be uh, judged by anyone in religion today in observance of a holy day, or of the new moons, or the meats, or the Sabbath days. All of these things were gone because Jesus was the Passover. And he's having this conversation with these men, and I'm sure that they don't understand all of its significance. No more than sometimes we do when somebody talks with us. But if you're here this morning, I want you to know that Jesus Christ died for your sins on that tree and bore in his body your sins. And God proved that he was the Son of God by raising him up from the dead that you and I might be saved. What a message for him to tell his boys and his men that, guys, one of these days, he said, now listen, I'm fixing to die, I'm going to suffer. He said, I'm giving my body and I'm giving my blood for you. That's what I'm about to do. And then the the conversation continues on. I want to show you the carnality of these men. Let's move on here. The Passover and its significance is discussed here, but let's move on. Look in verse number 23. Now he has to deal with their pride and its solution. Maybe you're here this morning, and you know that you've been saved, and you understand the significance of the Passover, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and you have received Him as your Lord and Savior. Your sins have been forgiven, and now you're a child of God. Okay, so what is in the message for you today? All right, look with me here at their pride and its solution. Now again, he's dealing with some things before he leaves the planet. And the Bible says here in verse 23, And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And he's referring to the betrayal of Judas. He has revealed to them that one of them is going to betray him. All right? All right. And I'm surprised that they didn't already have some suspicions of Judas. But it just shows you how how it, a person can actually go through the motions and not really it be in their heart. That's something that some of you young people need to comprehend. You know, when you see people grow up in church or go around church and then you see them out and about and they're, and they're different out there than they are in here and you say, well, man, Christianity must not be real. And so you use a hypocrite as an excuse for your choices and behavior, you're being very foolish indeed. They'll always be around. There will always be Judas's around. Always. But why don't you look at the 11 that stayed with Christ? How about the rest of them? Why don't you look at them? 11 out of 12 ain't bad. Amen. And the Bible says this, though, that... look, 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 Look at these guys. Verse 24. There was also a strife among them. Okay, now, they just he just talked to them about this being the last one and what's going to happen. And, the, and you know what, he said, now listen, one of you guys is going to betray me. And so they began to, I think, look at each other, because they did ask this question, Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? <coughs> and it probably, according to this, eventually turned, I think it's you. I think it's you. But the Scripture says this, look in verse number twenty. Verse 24, and there was also strife among them. Now you tell me what it is that causes strife among brethren. I'm sorry? Pride. Pride always brings contention. He said, there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the what? The greatest. Again, I call that the Ali syndrome, the Muhammad Ali syndrome. He was always promoting that he was the greatest. Allow me again to use this illustration. For those of you who have not heard it, it's still worth repeating, I enjoy it every time I tell it. It has been told that he was on an airplane one time and uh, he did not have his seat belt on. talking about Muhammad Ali, a famous boxer from days gone by for our young people. He he changed his name from Cassius Clay to, to Muhammad Ali and... And uh, he would uh, boast about how what a great boxer he was and was the best it ever had been or ever would be. He said, I am the greatest. I float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. He said he was on an airplane one time and the the stewardess said, "Uh, Sir, you need to put your seatbelt on. And he said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And she responded and said, Well, Superman doesn't need an airplane either. So put your seatbelt on. And what happens sometimes in our pride is that we assume that we do not have to follow uh, some of the rules that everybody else does. That we're above the red. Oh, yeah, I know. I know when it says do not pass, I know it's talking about those people that got Chevrolet's, but if you got a Ford, you can do it in time. Do you understand? I see you got that. All right. Where's Michael? There he is. He understands. But some people just simply don't think the rules are for them. Now notice this here in this passage. It says, he says, they began to argue about which of them should be accounted the greatest. Now contention comes only by pride. And he is speaking of the, of, number one, he reveals to them that it's possible that either one of them could be the betrayer. He did not just say, okay, listen, I just want you all to know Judas has betrayed us. He did not say that. He said, somebody in this room is going to betray me. Now, why would he say something like that? I think he wanted them to understand that it's possible for all of us to do something that is fleshly and foolish. Because Peter had already said, Lord, listen, I know the rest of this crowd will deny you, but it won't be me. And the scripture says here that in verse 24, but you know, when you have some contention among yourselves in your family, or your church family, do you realize it it, it is a sad time, it's a grievous time, but it also is a window of opportunity to be able to teach something that matters because you've got their attention because they're either upset or they're angry or they're aggravated or they're offended, and so they have their ears open a little bit more. And the scripture says here, he says, now listen guys, he says, you are comparing yourselves among yourselves, which we know that's not wise. And so he recognizes their strife. He says, guys, what are you arguing about? And I think they could hang their heads in shame and said, well, we were discussing which one of us is the greatest. So what are they doing? They're comparing themselves among themselves. And I'm sure that they probably looked back over the three years. But the and said, you know, uh, well, I, I, when I, I was with Jesus when this happened. And uh, this happened over here when I was with him. And he helped me do this. But I think probably Peter could step up and say, Yeah, but none of you have walked on water. I am the one that's walked on water. And so they're all comparing themselves among themselves. And I'm telling you that in a church, it's very easy sometimes for you to think and over-evaluate yourself. And when you do that sometimes, you are beginning to expect them to be treated a certain way. And I promise you, you will be offended because everyone is not going to think as highly of you as you think of yourself. As a matter of fact, they're probably not even thinking about you at all. (laughs) I'm sorry to disappoint you. Now, we do think about you when you're going through the valley and you're hurting. We're not talking about times like that. Okay, and now you'll notice he says in verse one of it. So he takes advantage of this in this conversation. I just pray the Holy Ghost would uh, uh, let us go, you know, take our, our, our imaginations and go into this room and listen to this private conversation that's taking place to understand the significance of this. And this is what he says, verse twenty-five. Here's the solution. First, he gives them an exhortation, and then he gives them an example. He says in verse 25, He said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Now we are all Gentiles here. And we know the nature of a Gentile is to be number one, to be the greatest, and to be the best, and to be in charge. And He says, And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. He says, But ye shall not be so. He said, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. Now he's thinking that you've been taught some things at home that young people should respect their elders and that young people should serve their elders, not vice versa. And he says... Let him be as the younger, and he that is chief be as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Now, this situation right here that occurs here is picked up again in John chapter 13. This same supper, this same meal is discussed again in John chapter 13 where the Lord Jesus Christ then gets up from the table and he said, you know, you call me master and you ought to. He said, but I'm going to show you what I want you to be and how you could be happy if you'll just listen to what I say and watch what I do. And so he gets up and girds himself and he gets a pan of water and he sits down before these guys and kneels down before them. And he begins to wash their feet. Well, immediately they are humbled by this. Now, let me ask you a question: How many of you, this guys, this guys, we don't really like people doing things for us. We feel obligated when they do something for us, right? And so, they Jesus is washing their feet, and Peter stands up and says, "Lord, not so." He says, "I don't want you washing my feet." And Jesus said, "If I don't wash your feet, he said, I'm not going to have any, you don't have anything to do with me." He said, "Well, Lord, if that be the case, he said, give me a bath from head to toe, because basically he wanted to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but he couldn't comprehend this this example of Jesus." And brethren, really, how do we measure ourselves of how far we have grown? Is it really how many Bible verses we can quote? Is it really how many times we can quote the Bible books in a row and never miss one of them? I mean, maybe you could even go into the Chronicles and quote every begat in a row and get it right. My hat's off to you. I barely can read them, much less memorize them. Amen. But the Lord Jesus Christ he said, Now, guys, what your, your attitude is wrong. And he said, Now, I'm going to show you how to do this. He said, Now, listen, the way up is the way down. And the way to lead and have an impact is to serve. To serve, to serve, to serve, to serve. Now, here's the transition that some of you guys have to make because, you know, you can't hardly work like this in a business and show up on the job site and say, Now, guys, you know, what do you all think we ought to do today? can't hardly do that. Somebody's got to be in charge and somebody's got to tell somebody what to do. But when you get around each other outside of work and you get around each other in church and you you have the opportunity to serve each other and to be a blessing to each other, rather than you coming to church and asking, well, nobody does anything for me. Nobody ever checks on me. Nobody ever calls me. I mean, man, I've been out of church full services. If you're going to judge that, I'm going to judge you the same thing. How many of you called me? How many of you texted me? How many of you sent me a card? How many of you checked to see if I was dead or dying? (laughs) I didn't sit at home and go, (coughs) and say, how come Brother Kenny Johnson didn't come over here and see if I was alive? By the way, he did, by the way. He did. Brought me some okra. Sure did. But I'm just saying, do you realize that sometimes when you start judging each other because you want that attention, you want to be served, yeah. Jesus said you'll be jur- judged by the same rule. Yeah, right. You will. And so what you, if you want to be happy, now if you want to be miserable, just pout. I got something for you. <laughs> Hold on here. Hold on. We got some illustrations here. If you're going to do this, <laughs> then we'll give you this. Do you understand? And the Bible says if you you like that, Carson? <laughs> yeah, you do. I thought you might. <laughs> but do you understand that to be unhappy is to always be thinking about you. But to be to be happy is you're thinking about others. And how can I be a blessing? How can I serve? And men and, and, and some of the fellows and ladies in this church, you know what? They're looking for opportunities. They're listening for opportunities. They want to serve you to be a blessing. But they're not mind readers. You know, they don't know everything that's going on at your house. They don't know everything that's going on in your life. We say, well, they ought to. Why should we ought to? Because when we check, you say, why don't you mind your own business? So there's a no-win situation. If we pry and we ask, how come you wasn't at church? Well, why don't you just mind your own business? But then you're at home by yourself. I wonder how come nobody ever checks on me. I ain't been to church in full services. Nobody's calling, and me how come I'm not there. Do you see how it's all about you? But when you love Him and you want to serve Him and you want God to use you, you've got to get past me and you've got to think about other people. And that is the conversation Jesus is saying. Now, boys, I'm leaving. I'm fixing to finish your redemption. I will be the atonement. I'll take care of your sins. Number two, if you want to be happy and you really want to please the Lord, then you follow my example and you learn how to serve each other. Paul said, I, he said, listen, he said, I'll become all things to all men that I might gain some, that I might save some. Are you willing to be inconvenienced in order to be a blessing? All right, last thing. Look at verse number 28. the passover and its significance is discussed. Number 2, their pride and its solution is discussed. Jesus Christ, Philippians 2, having the mind of Christ, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. a servant, a servant. Look at verse 28. Now, he's going to discuss their prophetic promise and place. Now, listen, this is important because eschatology, they come back to talking about the coming of the Lord, eschatology is derailed and hijacked when one replaces Israel's prophetic promises with the church. And Jesus is letting them know that their Father, Their God is sovereign. And He is talking to Jewish men with Jewish hearts who are wanting a Jewish nation and looking at a Jewish Messiah. And here's what He says to them. And here's some of their reward for being servants. He said, "'You are they which have continued with Me in My temptations.'" Is there a reward for always being the servant? Oh, yes, it is. there is. Verse 29, And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Most commentaries pass over this passage of Scripture right here, because a lot of these guys believe in what is called replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel. And that's why you'll hear some of these guys quote verses and claim promises that belong to Israel and presumptuously proclaim them boldly as if they are a Jew. The book of Revelation writes and said, There will be some who proclaim themselves to be Jews which are not. You will never understand this book if you leave out the nation of Israel and its importance in the the eyes of God. It is God who chose Abraham and and He declares Himself to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. Now listen, the significance of this, number one, it dismantles replacement theology. And by the way, that affects politics. There are nations who have made laws and who have made moves against Israel over the centuries because of their philosophies that men have given them, religious men have given them, the Roman Catholic Church, for example, have given them concerning and that Jehovah's Witnesses and folks like that who have replaced Israel with the church. And their argument is, is that when they cried and they said, you know, when they said, let his blood be upon us and our children, They said it because they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ that they gave up their right to ever be and have the promises that God gave to the nation of Israel. Now listen, do you ever watch the news? A little? What happened this week? Is it significant? I don't know. There was another peace treaty that was signed in Israel between the Arabs and the Jews and and President Trump is getting some of the credit for it. How significant is, is it? I don't know. But I think it's, it could be like one of those tremors that happens before the actual major earthquake occurs. These peace treaties are going to build up until there is a major peace treaty that takes place. And we'll know that that will take place when the Antichrist is on the scene. But listen, when you read that, you probably have passed over there and said, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is that these apostles don't have a clue that God one day will establish the New Testament church. I say that whoever's listening, watching, and you can show this to whoever you will. They were looking for a Messiah. You know how I know that? Because after forty days of listening to him teach before he went back to heaven, their question to him before he departed says when are you gonna establish the kingdom? Because they remembered the promise he made to them. Now listen, do you have you ever met anybody that claims to be an apostle? today? You know, most of them, listen, I had a chance to observe some religious programs last Sunday morning before you came on. It was awful. It made me mad. On would come apostle so-and-so. And he had this book and he had these prayer cloths, And he had this anointing all. Now you could get it on a deal if you paid a certain amount today. Right. You know, I want to just kind of put my hand through the TV screen and grab him by the neck and slap him in Jesus' name yes. for making a mockery right. of the truth. Amen. He's no apostle. That's right. That's right. There are 12 apostles and their names, are you listening to me? Their names are on the city, yes. the city. The twelve apostles of the Lamb are written on the foundations of the city. They were chosen. And listen, Jesus tells them in John 15, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And they were chosen to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were men who, had, who could perform miracles after His resurrection that other men could not perform. They were given the inspiration of the Scriptures. This was a unique group of men hand-chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And they had walked away from a lot of things to follow him. And so he gives them this promise. And I say again, I say again, this is critical because it means God is not through with Israel. It means that he has a plan for Israel and that the restoration of Israel is part of his plan prophetically. The tribulation period, call the great tribulation, call the time of Jacob's trouble, time the time of God's wrath, all has to do with God restoring Israel where it needs to be. So the church is in a different place. We have different promises. Amen. Same Savior. But we have a different place in God's prophecy. And the Bible says here, let's look at this, verse 30. So he's telling these guys now, remember, I guarantee you they're remembering this statement. Because this verse displays the sovereignty of God and man hates the sovereignty of God. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 when he promised that one day he would send his seed through the the seed of a woman he would send a redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse number 29, let's read it again carefully. Listen to me, church please. Somebody's always trying to sell you something. If there is no distinction made here that Jesus gives, and if you don't recognize the distinction between Israel and the church, then there will be no discernment for you as you study the rest of your Bible. You will not be able to discern the truth and what's going on in America. You think America is the apple of, God, the apple of God's eye. It's not true. You think you're the apple of God's eye. That's not true. It's Israel. It's Israel. And brother, you need to watch what goes on in that land. You need to listen to the news of what goes on in that land. And what this last peace treaty was, and not, not all discerning, especially a born-again Jews who see this, they recognize that Israel once again is being asked to give up some of its sovereignty in order to make peace with the Arabs. And the United States has placed pressure on them to do so. And I say that is not a good thing for us. And so the scriptures go on to say here in verse number 30, and I'm done. Thank you for your patience, but I want to encourage you to understand three things, three conversations took place here. One had to do with the Passover lamb being Jesus died for our sins and took our sins in His own body on the tree and that it is His blood that cleanses us from all sin. Now you either stand before God and you answer for your sins yourself or you stand before God Because you have bowed your knee and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and He is your atonement. He is your propitiation. He is your Passover. Those people in that house, Brother Travis, in the old days in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, those people inside those houses were not spared the wrath of God because they were worthy. It was because of the worthiness of that blood and that lamb. Then He talked to them about their pride. And it's solution. And then here, if you're concerned about what's going on with all of the things that are happening electronically, what's going to happen electronically with the, with the uh, virus and uh, with the vaccine and with the banking and all the things that are happening around the world quickly, if you're watching that and you're observing that, you need to find not trouble in your heart, but hope in your heart that the Lord is coming back real soon. And you need to be ready to meet Him when He comes. And here is the promise in verse 30. You see, God's God's looking down on the earth and He's paying attention to what's going on in that little piece of land that belongs to Him that He has claimed. And you need to watch the news that takes place there more than anywhere else on the whole globe. And here's what He says. Verse 29, And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, and Isaiah wrote about that, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That means God's going to bring them back together. Our Jesus is lying. And he didn't know what he was talking about. He's bringing them back together, establishing them again, setting them in their land, And he will be king, and these guys will be ruling with him. And the scripture says that you need to understand this, that the church again has its own place, but this morning we're discussing his conversation about these men. If you're here this morning and you're born again, you continue to have your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Number two, look to serve, not to be served. Humble yourself before God. If you want to be happy, find a way to be a blessing. If you're at home miserable, text somebody to encourage them. Pick up the phone, call somebody, check on them. Write them a letter. Molder yard. Do something for somebody. Be a blessing. Be a servant. You'll see your attitude change. You'll see your spirit encouraged. And do it to be a blessing, not to get a blessing. Amen. And then last of all, keep your eyes on the skies because things are changing quickly in America and around the world. And God is still on His throne, Brother Jeff, and He's still going to do something with that little nation called Israel. And the world will not be able to destroy that little nation. It is not the United States of America that protects Israel. It is Israel that protects the United States of America. Amen. Let's stand together, please. And may we never turn our back on her. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved and you're concerned about your soul and your relationship with God, we have time to talk with you after services to answer your questions. We care about where you spend eternity. Church member, I care about your heart's attitude toward the Lord. I want you to be happy. I do. You'll find that humble people and servants are happier than those who want to be served. I hope and pray God will speak to your heart about that. All right, let's pray. Our Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the good word of God. Thank you for our Savior and how plain spoken he was about these matters. And Lord, we can believe his promises, that you are on the throne, that you are in control. And though it's been nearly 2,000 years since these words were spoken, you are lining things up to do exactly what you said you would do. And we believe in your promises, your sovereignty, and we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ and His name. Amen. amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.